Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the first edition of the Midday Madness Sports Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Eric Miller. It's been a long time coming, folks, and I've been really itching to get back into doing radio stuff, but I'll, I'll do the podcasting. I've always wanted to do podcasting. Um, it is, it's great to be back on the air. I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited about this opportunity to talk about sports and just get my ideas and my stories out there that I feel that people should hear. Or if you haven't heard enough, maybe you want to hear a different angle of a story. And I'm, I'm glad to give that angle to you. Uh, again, if you're not used to this, I'm Eric Miller. I am the host of, I was the host of the Midday Madness Sports Show on 88.7 WSYC on the campus of Shippensburg University, where I graduated in May 2019. And I am very glad to have said that I graduated from there. I had so many great experiences being on that campus uh, from interviewing people like Vince Papali, who's had a Disney movie with Mark Wahlberg starring as him in Invincible. He was the first person I ever got to interview on my first ever radio show on campus. I also got to interview Haley Grace Spencer, who was a woman's runner for the Boston Marathon a couple years ago. Um, because of being on the radio and being a Comgern student at Shippensburg University, I was able to go to ESPN and do a job shot with Mike Uranaga, who is a ESPN audio producer and is a good friend of mine now. We're both alumni, so he helped me try to, to see what I actually wanted to do and where I wanted to go and try to get my mind into the right spot of things. But because of him, I was able to go to ESPN and just see everything that he does on at, at Bristol, Connecticut. Another person I'm very thankful for in my life because of Shippensburg University is Mike Eby, who is a producer for Westwood One. Uh, he's been able to allow me to attend some of the football events that he has uh, been worked at, mostly in Baltimore. So it's that's been fun to watch him at work and help him be part of that process. So I'm grateful to him. I'm also grateful to my advisor, Ted Carlin, who is a great friend of mine now. And I love talking to him and picking his brain about where to go and what to do next. Uh, because of Shippensburg University, I really didn't know what I wanted to do or at least how to get there. And because of Shippensburg University, I was able to figure that out. I was able to put pieces together and do things that I wasn't able to do before. And because of that, I am, a, I am eternally grateful for them. In case you've never listened to our show, we talk about sports. So this is what we're going to be doing on our podcast. We're going to be talking about sports. Today we have a great show planned. And it is about the fall from glory about the Houston Astros. Now, if you don't know who the Houston Astros are or have lived under a rock this entire week or doesn't follow sports, then you've missed a ton of information about them. The Houston Astros have been the premier, the up-and-coming team of the last five years. We're going to go into their history a little in-depth and then jump behind and then go forward. So where we start the story about the Houston Astros is basically they were a National League team. They're owned by Jim Crane, who his net worth is over $680 million. And as of last year, the Houston Astros are are worth $1.8 billion. 
They were in the National League from 1962 to 2012. And in that time, they had one World Series appearance, which they lost in four in 2005 against the White Sox. They had one NL pennant, which was in 2005, a great seven-game series against the St. Louis Cardinals. Their four-time National Central Division title, and yes, that's correct, they were in the Central. In 97, 98, 99, and 2001, they won the NL Central, and they won the wild card in 2004 and 2005 in the National League. From 2005, well, 2006 to 2011, or 2012, it was never really a good team. They weren't, they kept falling apart. They were in a very tough division. I believe in that division time frame, they had the Cincinnati Reds win the division. They had the Chicago Cubs win the division. They had St. Louis Cardinals win the division. So three other teams and the Milwaukee Brewers were also a team that won the division. So you have a lot of teams, a lot of good teams that were starting to get better so the Astros decided in 2012, well, probably this process before that, that they were going to go to the American League because they already had six teams in the NL Central. So if you go to the NL West, that'll even out at least five teams in that division instead of four, and it'll make it a little better. So what had happened in 2013, it was their first year, or 2014 was their first year into the American League. Now, this is also the same year that Sports Illustrated had George Springer on the cover. Now, I believe George Springer was a very new, very fresh uh, face in the MLB world. And the cover had called it the grit, that baseball's great experiment, an unprecedented look at a franchise is going beyond Moneyball to build the game's next big thing. Your 2017 World Series champs. 2017, three years away, they were calling that the Houston Astros were going to be the World Series champions. This, to me, is the rise and the start of the Houston Astros uh, rising to glory. Now, again, let's backtrack a little bit first. With Jeff Linnell, who is now the former GM, and we'll get to that in a, in a little bit as we go on to the show. He was the one that took over in 2012 as that transition began from the National League to the American League. And he embarked on a full team teardown, basically tanking 101. And this is what you want to do when you tank 101. Trade all tradable assets, abstain from adding any veteran free agents that might realize like hey i want to play for you but we're tanking so we don't want you to play for us because we have a we have a good thing going right now focus on young talent and load up on coveted high draft picks basically tanking 101 and if you think about it it's kind of like the nba right now where a lot of teams are tanking to get that young youth movement look at the sacramento kinks they've been doing this for years now atlanta hawks another new team that are that is doing that so Jeff Linnell, who it was the GM in 2012, allowed all this to happen. He said, this is the direction that we need to go so we can, we can gain traction, get young players, and become what we're meant to be. So he allows this reporter, Ben Ryder, the senior writer for Sports Illustrated, into the draft room in 2014. 
This was the only big interview that Lanau ended up allowing, and they wanted to see what what the draft board was like. They wanted to see if they could get validated for tanking 101. This is kind of what I call it, the tanking 101 scheme. And they wanted to make sure that they wanted Jeff, this writer for SI, to validate their efforts. And even Jeff ended up, or not Jeff, Ben wanted to see, he pitched the idea to at Sports Illustrated, and they actually ended up saying, well, why would we want to put a team that's in last place on the, on the cover? But as they really started seeing the story come to life, that's when they were like, you know what? Let, let's do it. I feel like we should do this. I don't think the 2017 was an actual deadline of when they were going to become the World Series uh, champions. But it started to validate the Houston Astros and what they wanted to do. So, speaking of the Houston validation, it kind of started in 2015. Now, in 2015, AJ that was AJ Hinch's first year as manager for the Houston Astros. It's also the first time in the American League that they were able to win 86 games, go to New York for the wild card game, beat New York Yankees three nothing for the wild card game, and then face off against what would be eventually the World Series champions, the Kansas City Royals. Kansas City Royal, now the Houston Astros ended up giving the Royals a run for their money. They ended up having the 2-1 series lead in the Divisional Series. We're up in Game 4 of the Divisional Series against the Royals. But unfortunately, Ben Zobrist and Alex Gordon, Eric Hosmer, and the list just goes on for the offensive onslaught that the Royals would then pour on to the Astros. And they would continue that into Game 5, and that's how the Astros season ended. But... It was a good start to how they are validating themselves as becoming a contender. Unfortunately, in 2016, they didn't make the playoffs. They won 84 games, so two games less than the year before that they made it to the postseason. Uh, But in 2017, now this is where it gets really interesting. Because if you remember the SI article by Ben Ryder, he said 2017 is going to be the year they're going to win the World Series. 2017, they were in first place for the majority of the year. They were 80 and 53 uh, by August 31st. Then enters, well, before a couple of days before that, you also enter into Hurricane Harvey, which unfortunately devastated the community of Houston. And they that's where Houston Strong became started taking place, and that was the rally cry. And then a magical thing happened. August twenty, August 31st, the trade waiver deadline began. Or it was coming down to the last couple hours. And who would be who would be um, available? Justin Verlander. Verlander, who obviously at that time has been a great pitcher for the Detroit Tigers, led them to the World Series in 2012, led them to the ALCS back-to-back years in 2011-2012, and 2013, they just could not get it done offensively. But before Verlander, BV, they were 80 and 53, the Houston Astros were. After they got Verlander in the month of September and the one game in October, they were 20 and 8. So they finished with a 101 61 record and a second best record in the major league. Now, while this is going on, 
there starts to become things speculating that they are sign-stealing. Now, sign-stealing isn't a isn't a full-blown, like, you. The, it's it's been caught. Sign-stealing has been going on forever, especially its gamesmanship. I remember a video about Joe Maurer helping out his teammate from second base, who is a catcher, who recognized what the signs were and helped his teammate figure out what not to swing to and what to swing to. But and eventually the catcher realized why is why is this guy really good all of a sudden? He started seeing Joe Maurer at second base and realized, all right, I'm going to the pitcher, we're putting our gloves over our hands. I'm not gonna give you the sequence. I'm gonna tell you what we're gonna do. And that, that and that's okay. The the problem in the MLB rules is you cannot use electronic equipment to communi- to communicate with each other during games. Then enters the twenty seventeen Boston Red Sox, when John Farrell was still the manager before Alex Cora took over. And in August of 2017, there was a file uh, by the, or a, there was something filed by Brian Cashman, the general manager of the New York Yankees, a complaint that included video evidence that the Yankees shot the Red Sox dugout during a three game series that they were using the Apple Watches to communicate to the Boston Red Sox dugout. And they wanted to make sure that this isn't being well known. So MLB did an investigation, told them, obviously, you know the rules. You're not supposed to use electronic devices. So the memorandum is, I hope that no other team is doing this in the playoffs or just in baseball. You guys are already going to make it to the postseason. The Boston Red Sox were in first place. So we're, we're not going to really do much about it now. But it started to trickle down from there because little did we know what the Houston Astros were actually doing at this time. Now you're probably thinking, is that really bad? You would think if they weren't using electronic devices, then that would be fine. But because the fact that it states in baseball rules, they're not allowed to use electronic devices. That's where the problem is. So this was a public knowledge. That obviously Rob Manfred made and said, "Listen, we're not going to fault. We're not going to go about doing this. Stop. The Red Sox are already going to the postseason that year, anyways. They were in first place in the American League East. Let's put a stop to it now. I don't remember exactly what had happened, but I remember hearing about the memorandum of 2017 sent to the player or sent to the GMs to say you guys need to cut it out. There will be severe consequences happening. So this was public knowledge. So." The Astros go on to this great postseason run, and all of a sudden, their numbers aren't adding up. And this is what I mean by their numbers aren't adding up. Jose Altuve at home was batting a 472, away a 143. Hmm, interesting. Alex Correa was batting a 377, 371 batting average at home. And a 211 batting average away. Interesting. And Brian McCann, batting a 300 at home, was batting a 37 on at away games. Huh. I. This is kind of staggering to me. Their numbers were very staggering. It, it was pretty. You just had to think something was going on. Well, maybe they're not a good road team. Well, that's not true because they were actually one of the better road teams in the league that year. So in 2017, 
What did the Houston Astros do? What was so wrong of why MLB had to do an investigation on them? Well, they used a video camera in center field to steal opposing team signs. A video camera is an electronic device, correct? They would run, they would then relay the signs to the clubhouse and would either whistle or bang on trash cans. That's, why would they do that? The Dodgers said in the World Series of 2017, they suspected some kind of sign stealing. Not only that, but former players such as Mike Fires, and this is right here where we get into the nitty gritty. Mike Fires, a former player for the for what team in 2017? The Houston Astros told his team in Oakland, who he's playing for now, watch out for, for the Houston Astros. They will they will find a way to cheat. And it was, it was done internally. He was telling his own teammates, which is fine. And then MLB heard about it. And then MLB started doing an investigation. And this is why, this is where we're at today. And we're going to get to why it happened this week. But this is where and why the Houston Astros were so good. They were on Glory Street. They made it to two World Series in the last three years. They were on their way to a dynasty until the... Until this all came out this week. So what happened? Mike Fire stated that a center field camera feed was sent to the Astros tunnel and that a staff member would then hit a trash can to specific different pitches to the players and coaches in the dugout. Well, that's not supposed to happen, right? But they're using the, the camera, the electronic device. That's not really what's supposed to happen. Let's fast forward to this past postseason. There was another incident, which has not been investigated, probably won't be investigated, but you never know, that Sean Doolittle said that he had his guard up regarding potential sign stealing that they, because of the pitch tipping. Now, the pitch tipping is a little different. I think the pitch tipping, that's kind of gamesmanship. They kind of realize, okay, if the pitcher's holding the ball here, you can kind of see what what the pitch is going to be. You know, uh, Chad Green, for instance, for the New York Yankees this past year, he would set the ball down to his waist but in, in the beginning of the year. However, he changed it to having it high because when you have it high, you can't really see with the glove guarding the ball and his delivery. He would change that on purpose. But when he faced against the Houston Astros the second time, they couldn't really tell what the pitch was. So when he was getting rocked in the regular season, he wasn't getting as rocked in the postseason against the Astros. And then that kind of leads us to this next one where in the postseason when it was Jose Altuve with um, hitting the game-winning home run against the New York Yankees in game six of the ALCS this past season. And maybe he knew that the pitch was going to be a a hanging slider by Chapman, maybe that was just the pitch sequence that Chapman had always done. He gets in a 2-1 count or 2-0 count. Let's try to put the slider in. And maybe Jose Altuve knew that. However, Jose Altuve probably hit one of the greatest home runs in Houston Astros history. Next to um, several home runs that have been hit extreme before. Carlos Correa, a couple games before that. And even Lance Berkman hit a few good home runs back in the day. Uh, Craig Biggio back in the day as well. But you hit one of the greatest home runs 
in your postseason history to send your team to the World Series, but you don't want your jersey ripped off. And his excuse was, well, because I'm shy and I and I got in trouble with my wife. I had this conversation with my wife the other day, and I told her, listen, babe, I love you, but if I hit a game-winning home run to send my team to the World Series, you really think that I'm going to think about that? Don't take off my jersey. Don't rip it off. Now, again, I have heard there are plenty of people that are really shy about having their shirts off, and I, I, I'm not saying that I'm one of them, and I've... I know people that are shy about that, so I'm not trying to diss that. But it's you've hit one of the greatest home runs in your team's history, and that's the first thing that comes to your mind. And not only that, you run to the dugout before celebrating with your own team. You go into the clubhouse. What are you doing in there, I wonder? What are you doing? So it's it's kind of really all sketchy. So this is when... MLB, after Mike Fires finally talks and says to his teams or his team, what what's going on? MLB steps in. They had and back in 2017, they had told their they had told uh, representatives of baseball if you go because they've heard about the trash can banging and the whistling. If you go to Minute Maid Park, listen for that. I want to know if there has been banging noises. And you can't really hear in the postseason, but at least in the regular season, they had people go to uh, Minute Maid Park and to hear if there was any of the banging that people said there was in 2017. So this is what they found. MLB found this. Alex Cora, who was a former bench coach of the Houston Astros before he took over for the Boston Red Sox, called Replay Review Room on Replay on the replay phone to obtain sign information. On some occasions, employees communicated the sign sequence by text or sent they communicated the sign sequence by text on a smartwatch, which, again, if you remember in Boston in 2017, that wasn't allowed. And or a cell phone that, sta- that stored nearby in the clubhouse. I didn't think electronic devices were allowed to be stored in a clubhouse. Carlos Beltran, answers the fray, discussed that they could improve decoding opposing team signs and communicating better. Cora then arranged a video room technician to install a monitor displaying the center field camera field outside of the Astros' dugout. After, the memorandum was sent out by Manfred to all clubs on to put on notice that future violations will be taken extremely serious. So the Astros knew in 2017 after the memorandum in September was sent. However, there's more to this because we're going to get to it in a second. But there's something that was never discussed, never discussed to someone. And we're going to get to this in a second. But (laughs) they knew going into 2017 there were going to be serious repercussions if you were caught by Rod Manfred. It was already stated. Alex Cora, hey, this isn't really st- this isn't really cheating. This is gamesmanship. Carlos Beltran, I got a better idea. Let's do this. So it kind of sounded like these two were already the masterminds of what had 
been been going on in 2017. So it just I I don't know. I don't understand what the big deal is. Anyways, I don't know. <laughs> the investigator must have looked down at his watch or at his phone and at the time, and was like, "Oh my goodness, why am I doing this? Really, I'm doing this? Really? I, I'm a I'm a full time investigator. I can be investigating murders. I can be investigating other people, other bad things, and." I'm investigating a baseball player who heard a bang and he swung and that's wrong. Some now some of this does sound ridiculous and I will I have no problem saying that. And I really agree that a lot of this is ridiculous and should not have any part in baseball. I am furious as a baseball fan to be honest. Um and there's more we're going to get into. But just to that point, the two parts that really gets me, that AJ Hinch, if they had told, if AJ Hinch had told them to stop, <laughs> we would have stopped. <laughs> and actually, later on in the report, AJ Hinch did say, listen, I told them not to do this. I really did. They didn't listen. And I told them on several occasions, but they didn't listen. So what do you want me to do? <laughs> Basically, I tried... I voiced something, I said something, they didn't listen to it. Was I supposed to do more? (laughs) So, obviously, um, because of this, and I kind of feel like, before I was reading this, before I read all this, it felt like, at this point, the players ratted out Jeff Linnell, the general manager, AJ Hinch, um the manager of the the Astros, because Lanao actually denied any knowledge of any of the schemes, and there was no evidence suggested that he had any idea about it. A.J. Hinch already said that he knew. Um, he did not devise the, the banging scheme and or participate in the decoding scene or signs. In fact, he told the investigators he did not, he did not support his players participating in any form of the events. Hinch also admitted that he didn't. He really didn't attempt to stop it. He's tried to stop it twice. Um, he admitted to knowing about the memorandum in 2017, but he failed to notify his players and or Alex Cora, the bench coach. So, and maybe Alex Cora was part of the email already, and he knew about it, but he didn't tell others about it. I feel like that's something I, if I ever got a serious email, I'd be like, hey, listen, guys, can't do this anymore. Wrap it up. Put it away. We're done. Alex Cora, to me, is the mastermind of everything. He of the banging scheme, of the replay review room. Obviously, he actively participated. The person I feel bad about, the worst, is Jim Crane, who trusted not only Alex Cora, not only AJ Hinch, not only not only the general manager uh, Jeff Linnell, but. He hired all these people, and they betrayed him. He must feel like the worst betrayed person ever. I mean, you hired these people. I expect you to do this, this, and this. And to me, he's one of the biggest people that is affected by all of this. Because not only did he hire them, he had set high expectations for them. And he had no idea what was going on. He didn't even know about the memorandum. He was was unaware of any violations of MLB rules by his club. He told Lanau after the Red Sox violation 
that they should make sure that his Astros were not engaging in any similar situ- conduct. Well, I, I can see Jeff Linnell's uh, talk right now. Yeah! We're, we're not engaging in similar conduct. Put the monitors away. No, yeah, we're not doing any of that. Then what, what's the camera for? Oh, we we want to get better. It's for the TV, you know, replay stuff. You know, are we good? <laughs> and he probably sold it to Jim Crane, who's like, okay. And unfortunately, it cost Jim Crane. In fact, it cost Jim Crane two, the first and second round draft picks for the next two years. Now, the fine, $5 million, that's the max that they can actually find an owner, which is kind of sad, but, you know. Not only that, they suspended Lanau and uh, Cora, or Hinch, for a year, but uh, Lanau, actually, Crane said in his press conference this past weekend that he had heard the news over the weekend before it actually was released, because he released it on Monday, he already knew about this and it was like, well, let me give me some time to think. And he had time to think. He's like, you know what? You guys are done. I, I'm, I'm out. You guys are out. So not only does this affect Jim Crane, but who else does this affect? Alex Cora, obviously it affects him and his potential coaching career because it's not over with in Boston. He, because he got fired for his involvement. Carlos Beltran was also mutually let go by the New York Mets, even though he hadn't even managed a single game. But there goes his managing career. Justin Verlander. I feel bad for Justin Verlander now. He came to Houston to want to win a World Series. He won the World Series in 2017, but now it's tainted. You will forever be known as the guy that went to Detroit, who Detroit was great. If you remember back in 2012, 2013, 2011, those were the great Detroit teams. 2014, not so much. Those were really good teams that Justin Verlander was on. They just couldn't get the job done. He leaves his home, his team that drafted him in 20, I believe it was 2006 when he first came into the league, to go to a team that all they needed was one piece. He was the missing piece to get to the World Series. He led him to the World Series and he won. But now there's going to be an asterisk next to that World Series. And potentially it might be gone. So the World Series that you won in 2017 may not even be there in your career, which then his career is already solidified. He just needed that one ring, but that one ring is gone off of his off of his um, resume. What are you gonna do now? Another thing that it affects is a crazy Game Five in 2017 against the Dodgers in the World Series. If you remember, Dodgers went up, the Astros tied it. The Astros went up, the Dodgers tied it. The Astros went up, the Dodgers tied it. Let's go to extras. The Astros win 13-12. But it was a game for the ages, and you didn't even know what was going to happen next. It was just so intense to watch. But you tainted that. You also tainted the L.A. Dodgers, who was the first of two straight years into the World Series, that they could have won. Maybe they should have won. It was in L.A. Their batting averages were really bad in L.A., but somehow they got it, the job done in Houston. Houston did in L.A. You also feel bad about the New York Yankees, who didn't win a game in Houston, who lost all four games in Houston, and who knows what would have actually happened with Joe Girardi. 
Now, unfortunately, they had already said that he was already going to be gone because he wasn't getting along with the manager at the time. But you don't that if they had won the World Series, even made it to the World Series, that would have made that decision a little more tougher. The World Series now of 2017 is tainted forever. And in fact, now that there's been more stuff been finding out, the Houston Astros may not even have their first World Series title. The things that have been found out are now with the whole, and we mentioned this already on the show, with Jose Altuve's jersey not wanting to come off, like we said before. But now I feel like baseball kind of has to investigate. Unfortunately, they won't. There was an article that was released last night by Alden Gonzalez, an ESPN staff writer. There is no evidence Houston Astros used wearable devices to aid sign stealing. Only further speculation, and multiple players have spoken up about this. Uh, Trevor Bauer has been one that said, I heard that statement. Recently, I heard that this was from multiple parties, and this, for what it's worth, is what he tweeted out. Um, there have been times where they were, what, and basically what the whole, whole Jose Altuve thing is, he ran around the bases, and he didn't want his jersey to be ripped off. And you can see the video clear as day. Don't take my, vi- don't take my jersey off. Uh, and maybe he's saying something else. We don't really know. But if you're reading lips, he's holding on to his jersey. It says, no, no, I don't want it. And then, as Ken Rosenthal stated, that he had asked, his producer had asked him to ask the question that said, well, why didn't you want to have your jersey ripped off? Jose Altuve was like, what? Oh, well, I mean... I I got in trouble with my wife last time, and I'm I'm very shy. Now the shy part, I can I can understand that. I know several people that were shy in front of people. They don't want their shirts ripped off, or they don't want their clothing ripped. And and I get that. I'm okay with that. The problem that I see is it, it was very weird to say and to watch because not only did he run the bases, ran to home plate, he ran into the dugout, into the clubhouse and then came back and celebrated. I've never seen a player not celebrate with his team before after hitting a game winning home run. Not only that, a game winning home run to send you to the world series. That's never, I've never seen that before. So it, it kind of makes you question a lot of things, even though last night, uh, Alden Gonzalez had already stated that there is not going to be any more investigation about this. The problem that I see now is the fact that Houston is going to have to, I'm looking ahead into the future. If I had a crystal ball right now, this is how I would see the MLB for the next season. MLB has two scenarios, okay? And these are the two scenarios that I concocted in my own head. Number one, this could be the this could be the time that the Houston Astros are so driven, they finally have a fire lit up where you know where, and it's going to drive them to be like, you know what? We didn't need all this cheating. Kind of like what the New England Patriots did in 2007. We didn't need to cheat. We're just that much better than all of you. I could see them being driven more than they've ever been driven before to want to prove all the naysayers wrong. Okay? I could see that. Or, the unfortunate scenario that I found or that I've thought of they will be an outcast no one's going to want to talk to them no one's going to be playing very fair with them in fact I can guarantee 
The Red Sox, if they play against the Dodgers, I don't know what the schedule is in front of me because I don't have it. But when they play against the Yankees in September, I can guarantee they will be firing inside quickly. You're going to hear a lot of boos on the road, a lot more than you you normally would. They're going to be pitched inside a lot. They're not going to like it. But you know what? If you can't say any, and I get that they can't say anything, probably because of the speculation or the investigation they were told not to say anything. I get that. But what I don't understand, what I what I feel is that MLB is going to have to do eventually, they're going to have to step in because they're going to get targeted a lot. And it's not going to be good for baseball. It really isn't. And I feel that they're going to get beat inside too many times. And it's not. It's really not going to look good for Major League. It really isn't. This kind of reminds me of the 2000. 13 scenario where Alex Rodriguez was suspended for PEDs a couple years ago and then he came back. It was a Sunday night baseball game and Ryan Dempster threw three straight times behind A-Rod. Okay, you sent your message and on the fourth time, you nail him in the, in the leg. And obviously baseball didn't really do much then, but Rob Manfred, this is your time now. You really need to do some investigating. You're going to have a lot of problems on your hand this upcoming season. I can, I can already see it right now. So it's unfortunate that this is, I mean, these are two scenarios that I see that are going to happen for the Astros. But until baseball, Rob Manfred and whoever else is in charge does something different, I, I don't really see anything else changing. But we can still change. And in fact, we're going to change to a new topic of discussion. Obviously, the two, we're going to switch gears as well into a complete different topic. Uh, this weekend is the AFC and NFC Championship Games. and We're going to preview both, starting with the AFC this weekend. Kansas City Chiefs back in the AFC Championship game for the second straight year. If you remember last year, they lost that heartbreaking game to the New England Patriots in overtime. Didn't get to touch the ball in overtime. And Tom Brady and company brought it down and won another AFC Championship game. Brought another title back to New England. That was then. This is the, this is now. Tennessee missed the playoffs last year, but have been on an incredible run right now. And I mean, and I literally mean run, with Derrick Henry. The past two games, he's averaged 189 yards in two games with one touchdown run that was against New England. He's averaging a game, uh, six yards per game for carries. He's also averaging 32 carries per the, the last two games in the postseason. His most ca- his most carries came in uh, New England in the wild card round, which helped them win it for Tennessee. But these two teams are no slouch against each other. In fact, they actually uh, faced each other already this season with Tennessee winning 35-32 in, in Kansas City. And Patrick Holmes in that game was 36 for 50, 456 yard, 446 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. He was sacked twice. Ryan Tannehill was 13 of 19, 188 yards, which right now is at, is what he's averaging in the postseason, or the most combined yards he's actually thrown in the postseason. Just about two touchdowns, no picks. He was sacked four times as well. Tyreek Hill was the really big story in this game. He had 11 receptions of nine targets, 107 yards, and one touchdown. Derrick Henry, 23 carries, 188 yards, and two touchdowns on the day. It was the it was the 10th or 7th straight running back 
to that point for Kansas City that allowed they had allowed over 100 scrimmage yards in the game. And I tell you this because Tennessee right now, Derrick Henry is running out of his mind. Uh, right now, they obviously, like I said, it is 34 carries in New England, 30 carries for Baltimore, 64 carries altogether, and he's averaging 32 carries. And he really has been a big difference maker because the defense has been able to stand tall against Tom Brady and company, against Lamar Jackson, who's supposed to be the greatest quarterback of the season that we've seen. And they've made him look like mincemeat. And having Derrick Henry being able to run so much on the field, he has been a huge implement or huge reason why they're able to run the ball. And in fact, if you think about it, they run the ball, run the ball in first and second down. And then by third down, it's a very short yardage that Ryan Tannehill has to either throw. But most of the time, why throw it when you could just give it to Derrick Henry and he can do the rest? Uh, the... It is insane. It is just a great job that Mike Vrabel is doing right now for the Tennessee Titans, getting them into this position to becoming one game away from going to the Super Bowl. And it, it would be a long time coming for them. Not as long as Kansas City, who's waiting there. Uh, it's been almost 50 years going in this year if they don't make it. It'll be 50 years that they have not made it to the Super Bowl. But I will admit, I feel that because of Derrick Henry being able to run in this uh, in the postseason, there's been one kind of hidden hidden uh, gem that they has been one secret weapon that I feel that Tennessee isn't really overdoing, but they're kind of waiting for for this person to get for to get going in this game, and I and I really feel that this person could really be the big difference going into the AFC Championship game. The secret weapon that I feel that the the Tennessee Titans have had is Ryan Tannehill. Now, I know what you're thinking. Eric, are you serious? Ryan Tannehill? Now, think about this for a second. The last two games, he's only thrown 15 for 29 times, 160 yards in both games, 160 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, and that was in New England. So he's 51%, and he averages 80 yards a game. It's not great, but it's enough. And if you remember correctly, and this kind of reminds me of the 2015 Denver Broncos year, when their defense was extremely great with Vaughn Miller, Demarcus Ware, Aqib Tlaib. They had key guys that could step up defensively and make plays. For this, even though Ryan Tannehill isn't the best quarterback, I still feel that he's doing enough to get the win for the Tennessee Titans. And it who knows? He, you know he has great receivers right now. He hasn't really been utilizing them as well because he doesn't need to. He has Derrick Henry to take the load for him. I mean, Derrick Henry, again, is averaging 32 carries a game, averaging 189 yards a game as well. So why would you need to run or throw the ball a lot of the time when you have a beast in Derrick Henry. Also, the Tennessee defense, Tennessee Titans defense has been extremely good for them. Four sacks in the postseason, three picks in the postseason, and one fumble recovery. Kansas City, or Tennessee has, is no slouch, and they, do, they very well deserve to be in this position that they're in. 
my keys to victory for this is I feel for Tennessee, you got to run it down their throats. You don't want to be the team that, and I don't think Mike Vrabel's team will ever be like this, but I feel that they have to be the ones to run it down their throats and manage the clock. I And this has basically been the Tennessee Titans offense all postseason long. Simple throws, don't get too carried away, clock manage with the running game, and you're going to win this game. For Kansas City, do it for Andy Reid. Andy Reid has been, a, has been a coach for a long time. Obviously, a lot of Eagles fans will probably be rooting for Kansas City uh, because of what he had done for that city. Brought them to, I believe, five NFC Championship games, one Super Bowl appearance. Just could not get the job done. Do it for Andy Reid. And don't get too antsy, I would say, for the Kansas City Chiefs. I feel that, yes, last week was a great comeback win for them, and they ended up really shining when they needed to. They didn't they weren't too against each other. They picked each other back up. They were very this is a this is probably one of Andy Reid's greatest teams he's ever coached. But don't get too antsy and don't make mental mistakes. I would feel is this is a very young team for Kansas City still. They've never they've been in this situation before, so maybe that'll carry them into the next round. But I just hope that they don't get too carried away. My prediction to this game, I originally in the American or the American Conference, I actually had the New England Patriots winning the conference. I didn't think anyone else was going to be. My second pick for that conference is the team that I'm picking now, and that is Kansas City Chiefs. I believe they're going to win a very close game. I to me, I feel that it's going to be a very low scoring game. The over under is 53, and I'm going to go with the. The actual line at 53. I'm going to say it's 28-25 in favor of Kansas City. And they will be going on to their first Super Bowl. Alright, so we already did the AFC Championship Game Preview. Let's look at the NFC side of things. Where the San Francisco 49ers are going to host the Green Bay Packers. First time that San Francisco has been in the NFC Championship Game hosting since... 2011 when they faced against the New York Giants with Alex Smith as the head as the quarterback John uh, Jim Harbaugh was the the um, the coach at the time and they ended up losing 20 to 17 against the Giants which then the Giants ended up winning against in the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots the Gi- the Packers on the other hand actually haven't been to the Super Bowl in a long time, but and the obvious reason is that they've made it to several different NFC Championship games. They've just ran into roadblocks. Uh, you look at the 2014 season when they lost against Seattle in Seattle. They went against Atlanta, lost in Atlanta. They went against the. Um, I feel like there was another one that they were in, and I can't remember off the top of my head in this past decade. But they've been in it. And they just for some reason, can't finish the the deal. And now hopefully that this isn't another time because I feel that we're starting to see Aaron Rodgers started in a slip away and start mostly not losing everything, but he's not really as becoming as relevant as he once was. Uh, this is another rematch that we're seeing San Francisco play against Green Bay uh, this, on November 24th of this past season. San Francisco won that game. Single-handedly, 37-8. It was not even close. Aaron Rodgers, 30 for, or 20 for 33, 104 yards, 
with one touchdown. Jimmy Garoppolo, 14 of 20, 253 yards and two touchdowns. Both teams, ironically, uh, San Francisco has a 6-2 record at home. Green Bay has a 6-2 record on away. So Aaron Rodgers has only thrown four interceptions this season. He knows how to take care of the ball and when to throw. Both offenses average about 350 yards um, in the air, but it's the defensive side that is a completely different story. With Green Bay and San Francisco, they allow about 252 yards thrown in the air, but it's the running, the rushing defense that is really the key thing. Green Bay will allow over 110 rushing yards on the season, where San Francisco is only allowed 21 yards. So that's a huge difference for the defensive side. Uh, one of my big questions was, did San Francisco really deserve to be the number one seed? And I looked at the last five games. They were, the, all, their, all their games in the last five came down to one possession. It really came down to the final thing. In Baltimore, it, they lost on the road against, um, they lost in Baltimore. It was 2017. New Orleans, they won on the road, 48-46. They slipped away with that victory. They lost at home against Atlanta, 29-22. They beat the Rams, 34-31. And then, of course, they beat the Seattle Seahawks on the road, 26-21. So, they're already battle-tested. I feel that they they know how to get things done. But, with a new quarterback and a new system, can they get things done? My keys to victory for the San Francisco 49ers are pressure Aaron Rodgers. The, the most teams that have been able to beat Aaron Rodgers' teams have been able to blitz him a lot and get him off rhythm. Eliminate the run game. Obviously, they do a good enough job on that, so they really need to make that a big emphasis. And if it's coming down to the final few stages of the game, I feel that you cannot let Aaron Rodgers have the ball. If he gets the ball in a close game, I'm sorry, but that's going to be game over. For Green Bay, run the ball. Try to find a way to run the ball. Get the get it, get it, the offense going, and don't let it just be on Aaron Rodgers' hands. If you claw on defensive side, if you clog the left middle side of the defense or, or the passing lanes for the 49ers, that's where Jimmy G really goes. If you can eliminate that, I feel that you're going to have a really good chance. The biggest thing, the deep middle – they average 150 uh, yards on that area, or they go to that 150% of the time. In the league average, it's 87% of the time. So I feel that Green Bay, if you can clog up that middle left side, and that's the side that Jimmy G is really going to go to, you can really do some damage into that into their offense. With that being said, I feel that this is going to come down to one of those moments where Aaron Rodgers has the ball. It's it's very close. They're maybe down by three or four, or maybe they're tied. And this is the time that Aaron Rodgers is like, you know what? I'm done losing. I'm done losing the NFC Championship game. I'm taking it. I'm taking what's mine. Originally, in this beginning of the season, I had chosen New England and Green Bay in the in the Super Bowl. Though that's been my Super Bowl pick. And in fact, that's been my Super Bowl pick for the last about four or five years. I've stayed true to that. Next year I'm actually gonna have to change it up. But I I'm still sticking with Green Bay. I think that they can get it done. I think Matt LaFleur can figure out that offense 
and hopefully get Aaron Rodgers to the promised land to set up the Green Bay versus Kansas City Super Bowl. So I'm taking Green Bay in this game. 30-24 is going to be the final score, and it's going to set up another rematch that we already saw once this season, Green Bay and Kansas City. So that's my picks for the AFC side. Again, I have the Kansas City Chiefs winning 28-25. And in the NFC, I have Green Bay winning 32-24. So that is basically going to do it for today. Thank you again for listening to the Midday Madness Sports Podcast. Uh, It, again, is our first one, first of many. We hope that you've enjoyed this. We hope that you have taken something from this. Um, Make sure you like us on Facebook at the Midday Madness Sports Show in 88.7. I have to change that. It is now just the Midday Madness Sports Show page. So like us on Facebook. You can also tweet at us at WSYC Madness 2015. And we will get back to you as best as we can. On our radio show, normally we ended with a quote of the day. And we're going to continue that trend as well. And the quote of the day is by Steve Harvey. And it goes like this. God lets you be successful because he trusts you that you will do the right thing with it. Now, does he get disappointed often? All the time. Because people get there and they forget how they got it. So again, Steve Harvey, one of the great comedians and obviously he had that blunder a couple years ago with Miss Universe and he ended up saying it was one of the greatest mistakes of his career because the day after he kept getting phone calls to do all these other things so it really helped him and I feel that this is just a really good quote to tie in the the show especially from what we had discussed early on and again the quote goes like this God lets you be successful because he trusts you that you will do the right thing with it now, does he get disappointed often? All the time. Because people got there, get there and they forget how they got it. So I feel that this ties in really well with the Houston Astros, that the process that they had was a good process. It just it fell flat and there was a lot of things done. Now, can they come back from this? I, I truly hope so. And I truly hope that they have uh, MLB clears this up and they clean everything up for the game and that there aren't any people that are going to be hurt, but there's a lot of people right now that players, fans, they're not liking right now. Houston Astros are public enemy number one. And I hope that that's not going to be the case for too long. Um, I hope for their sake anyways, and I hope for their sake that Jim Crane can figure out what to do next with the coaching situation as well. So that is going to do it for myself, Eric Miller at the Midday Vanna Sports Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Have a great weekend, and we will see you next time.